0: All right, well, good morning again. It's good to see everybody this morning. We are continuing our look at the book of Ephesians. We're actually getting pretty close to the end. Uh, We're in the second to last chapter. We're going to be in chapter five today, and we're looking at the last section of chapter five. Now, I was away and didn't get back till yesterday, so I didn't send out the email that I normally send out typically on Fridays or Saturdays that tips you off to what we're going to be talking about on Sunday. And I was laughing about it a little bit last night because it seems almost sneaky that I didn't. And uh, about seven o'clock last night, I was like, all right, you know, I'd flown back. I, I spent a few days in Tennessee this week. And so when I flew back, um, I thought, well, I still could send the email out. It's only seven o'clock. And I thought, no, nah, it's, too, it's too late. And plus, with our subject for today, of uh, just talking about what does biblical submission look like in a healthy marriage, I thought that could possibly cut church attendance in half. So I thought I'd be savvy, and then surprise, we're talking about a portion of Scripture. that I was actually talking about this before the worship service began with somebody out uh, out in the uh, entryway. This is a portion of Scripture that, unfortunately, actually gets skipped a lot. And the reason it gets skipped a lot is because people treat it with a little bit of controversy. And uh, sometimes we look at this portion of Scripture and might think, I don't know, that, that seems a bit sensitive. Do you really want to talk about that? That seems more like a discussion than something that you'd want to build like a sermon off of. But when I look at this portion of Scripture, I see a lot of beautiful things here. And, uh, and I'll say this too, because I know that some of us in the room are married. Some of us are not married. Some of us plan to get married. Some of us never plan to get married. Some of us have experienced bad marriages that ended. And some of us look at marriage through a, a totally different lens. And I'll say this whether you're married, were married, planned to get married, never planned to get married, you will find something very useful in this portion of Scripture for you and for your heart and for your walk with Christ. And I hope that as we look at what this Scripture talks about, that you'll see practical things that could have an impact on a marriage, but also on a deeper level, practical things that should have an impact. On our walk with Christ, because that's what, what the Apostle Paul's trying to emphasize here in this portion of Scripture. And so, whatever state of marriage you might be at, I think you'll find something like that in this portion of Scripture. So, if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, we're gonna be looking at verse 22 down to verse 33. So, Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 22, and this is what it says. So we're talking about all right. What does biblical submission look like in a healthy marriage? Well, it says this: Wives submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse twenty-five then says: Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at this portion of Scripture together today and to think about the things that you talk about in a portion of Scripture like this, the things that you revealed through the power of your Holy Spirit to the Apostle Paul. And then you impressed upon his heart to write these things down and to communicate these things to the church so that we would understand what you're referencing here what your relationship with your bride, the church, looks like, and what our earthly marriages should strive to copy and implement. And Lord, none of us is perfect people. We know that as we look at this list and the things that that pertain to men, we could look at that and say, yeah, I goofed up on all of those. And I'm sure that there are plenty of women that that have looked at the portions that pertain to women and, and are also saying, yep, I've goofed up on that as well. Lord, we're not perfect people, but we're grateful for the fact that you are perfect. And we're also grateful that when we look at this portion of your word, you reveal to us that you actually do see us through a lens of perfection, that your bride is beautiful to you. So sometimes we look at ourselves and we we think of ourselves for our weaknesses and our failures, and then we look at a portion of scripture like this and we see how you choose to present your bride without blemish. And Lord, that amazes us because as you reveal to us in your word, we are your bride. So Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to look at these things together today. And we pray that you'd speak to our minds and our hearts now and help us to learn more about the nature of your relationship with us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So... I think it's fair to say that apart from the decision to follow Jesus, there is no more impactful or greater decision that a person will make over the course of their earthly life than the choice to marry someone. And for many people, getting married is a joyful experience. Being married is a joyful experience, something filled with delight, something that they very much enjoy. And for others, marriage looks like a daily struggle, a difficulty something that involves a lot of pain, something that's filled with a lot of disappointments, uh, something that might be even filled with a lot of disagreements. When my wife and I were selecting our wedding rings, now, I can't get this off easily like I used to, right? And I have this theory that my wife is a good cook, and if you look at our wedding photos, I was a little bit skinny in our wedding photos, and I think that her plan was this, get the wedding rings, fatten them up, and make it so that this thing doesn't come off. So you're going to have to take my word for what I'm about to tell you, but we made a special request of the jeweler when we got our wedding rings. We we asked him if he would engrave Ephesians 5 on the inside of the ring. Now not the whole chapter, just the reference. So trust me by faith, maybe my wife will show you hers, but by faith you can trust me that on the inside of this wedding band Ephesians 5 is engraved. That reference is engraved. And when we were speaking to the pastor who officiated for our our wedding, we requested that he emphasize, again, the teaching of Ephesians 5 in his message at our wedding ceremony. As followers of Jesus Christ, this portion of Scripture has a, a special place... For all of us, but I, I have to tell you, for my wife and I, as a very special place in our marriage, because when you look at what it says here, it talks about the fact that, the, that marriage between a man and a woman is designed by God to be a visible illustration of the love of Jesus Christ for His church. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for your marriage. And when we look at what this Scripture tells us, when we think about and meditate on the nature of Christ's gospel and its application to our day-to-day lives, what we begin to see is that He's called us to apply the gospel to all areas of our lives, particularly our marriages, when you look at this portion of Scripture that we're reading today. And when we center our marriages on Jesus, what, we, what starts to happen is we begin to understand how to react and how to respond to the common stresses and disagreements that all married couples face. So when I look at a portion of Scripture like this, and when I look at the supporting Scriptures, I ask questions like, all right, well, what does this gospel say about love? Well, we see that in a portion of Scripture like this. What does this gospel say about the nature of commitment? We see an example of that in this portion of Scripture as well. What about communication? I think by inference, when you look at how how things are described here in this portion of Scripture, we see some useful uh, patterns and practices that can help us in our communication in our homes. And what does submission look like? Well, it talks about that in this chapter as well. Now, when I was preparing to be a pastor and to deliver sermons, they said, all right, when when you preach a message, try to have maybe three to five points. All right, three to five points. Well, today... our our message on marriage is only going to have two points. We're going to have two points. And when we just read this portion of Scripture from Ephesians 5, you'll notice that the first section I read speaks about wives, and it speaks about this idea of submission. And we're going to get to that second, because there's a longer section that comes after that, and I want to hit on that first, because it's easier for me as a guy to... To, in in a sense, I don't want to say, like, pick on the guys, but when you notice, did you notice the length of the two sections? The portion of of Ephesians 5 that everybody talks about is that short section where it talks about things related to wives, and the portion that gets skipped is the huge section where it says, men, here's what this looks like for you. Try not to goof this up, right? And so I was thinking as I was preparing for today, I was like, well, how about we, we start with that part? And then we'll come back to the shorter part. So men, let's talk for a second. And I want to talk, first of all, by what it, uh, point one of two points today, right? Point one is this, learn to love like Jesus. Now, this isn't just for the men, this is for all of us. We should all learn to love like Jesus. But what does that look like? What does it look like to learn to love like Jesus? Let me reread verses 25 through 27. Look at those again with me. It's very instructive. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Just hang on that sentence for just a half second. Gave himself up for her. What on earth does that mean? We don't talk about that enough, right? Love your wife and give yourself up for her. Give up. Give yourself up for her, right? It says that he might, it says, and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Let's talk a little bit about theological background here as we look at this here. What's going on in this portion of Scripture? Well, everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ to be their Savior is rescued by him and immediately becomes part of a spiritual body called The church. And we've been emphasizing this all throughout our study of the book of Ephesians. Jesus loves his church. Scripture even refers to the fact that that, or, or to the fact that Jesus calls us his bride. We see that in this portion of Scripture. We also see it if you go to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 talks about the fact that we are the bride of Christ. So if the church is the bride of Christ, what kind of care? do you suppose the church can expect to receive from him? Or maybe I could put it this way. How does the perfect husband, Jesus Christ, treat his chosen bride? Right? Let's frame our discussion like that. How does the perfect husband, Jesus Christ, treat his chosen bride? Well, it tells us here in this portion of Scripture. tells us that Jesus gave himself up for the church. Right? In verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So when Jesus looked at the church, he said, all right, with unselfish devotion, I'm going to show my bride that I love her by giving myself up for her. So just think about that for a second, what that looks like, what that means. There was nothing that Jesus was lacking in heaven. He was surrounded by perfection. He wasn't in pain. He didn't struggle with hunger. He wasn't surrounded by people treating him like people treated him when he was here on this earth. He wasn't surrounded by people spitting on him. He wasn't surrounded by people trying to rip out his beard or, um, or slapping his face or whipping him or, or nailing him to a cross. Those, those weren't things that were part of his day-to-day experience. In heaven, he was surrounded by perfection. And yet, he witnessed humanity, his most precious creation, suffering under the crushing burden of our sin. He sees that going on, and he decides to do something about this. In love, he gave up that which was rightfully his so that he could come and suffer in the place of his bride. He came to suffer for his bride. He endured the death penalty that we deserved by paying for our sin. He paid that debt completely so that through faith in him, the crushing burden that we were under would be lifted so that we would be forgiven. And then after dying in his bride's place, Scripture tells us that Jesus rose from the grave, and he secured victory over sin, Satan, and death, and he shares that victory with all who trust in him. And without him, we would have no hope. Without him, we would have no peace. Without him, we would have no lasting joy. And he's shared all of those things with us based on what he accomplished on our behalf. Now, that's a pretty hefty standard for any husband to try and measure himself by, when you look at what Jesus did for his bride. It's a pretty hefty standard. Frequently, I've heard men say things like, I would die for my wife. Do You ever hear guys say that? I would die for her. And that sounds great, but most of the time, I think guys tend to picture that taking place in like a final final moment of glory, right? Where like a a bullet is coming toward his wife, and he's like, no, and he jumps in front of it, And with his last breath, he looks at her and he goes, I loved you. (laughs) And then he dies, right? And that's what we think. We're like, babe, I would do that for you. Or we see a train speeding down a track, and our wife somehow is unaware, and she's walking too close to that track, and it's like, no. And we push her out of the way, and we take the train for her, and we're like, this was for you, (laughs) as we go down the track. That's how we picture it, right? We over-dramatize it. And what does it actually look like on a day-to-day basis? How many wives got to... Don't answer this out loud. Please don't answer this out loud. <laughs> but how, how many ladies here got to pick out the color of your car? I don't know the answer to this. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm picking fights right now that I shouldn't pick. How many of you got to pick out the last movie that you watched? What? Why, why are you bringing this up? I don't know. Just a thought. The last restaurant you guys ate at, who, who picked it? I don't know. Somebody did. Knock it off, Pastor. Getting weird, right? We say that we would give ourselves up for our wives, and we don't even give her the remote. <laughs> Burned, right? That is, uh, that is our message for today. <laughs> But I look at this, and, and what's it telling us, right? Just as Jesus gave himself up for the church, husbands are called to give themselves up for their wives. And what, what that means is that Jesus is saying here, this is how it's done. I want you to learn to love a woman with selfless devotion that continually, not just in your words, but in your day-to-day gentle actions, demonstrate the depth of your love. So that even if you never even say a word, she is convinced on a day-to-day basis of the depth Of your love. And in view of the nature of the love that Jesus has for us, what he's doing is he's calling us to reflect that. He's calling us to basically just be a mirror of the way he's treating us. He's saying, Treat your wife like this. I already did it, I already showed you what it looks like. Treat your wife like this. Now, this scripture here tells us that Jesus does a few things for his bride. So think about some of the things it says here. One of the things here it says that he does for his bride is he sanctifies his bride. Jesus sanctifies the church. Verse 26 said that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, what does that mean? What is this sanctification that Jesus is accomplishing here? Well, sanctification is multiple things. It's a positional standing, it's a transformational process, and it's an ultimate outcome. All three of those things. So there are past, present, and future implications and applications to this idea of sanctification. So regarding our past, let's think about sanctification in regard to our past. Scripture reveals to us that the moment we trusted in Jesus Christ, we were sanctified, right? Which means that we have made, we've been made holy in God's sight. So that's how God sees us now. We've been set apart as His child. He sees us as holy. We've been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ as a gift. And we're forevermore declared to be righteous saints in the kingdom of God because our sins have been completely forgiven. We have been sanctified. Now, presently, what does sanctification look like? Well, we're being gradually transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to reflect Jesus more and more and more. And this is a process that occurs gradually over the course of your entire life. So with the Spirit's help, what happens is we develop a desire to live as Jesus lives. We develop a desire to display His heart. We develop a desire uh, to display His character and His attitude. We love as Jesus loves, the Holy Spirit as He's sanctifying us, is helping us to understand what that means and helping us to live that out. We learn to start showing mercy, like Jesus shows mercy. We show compassion, as Jesus shows compassion. This is a transformational process that continues all throughout the course of our lives as we trust in Jesus. It's a process that you and I are going through. The final and future aspect of our sanctification, that happens when our earthly bodies die, And we're given brand new bodies that are sinless and incorruptible. Philippians 3.21 talks about that. It's basically telling us we will live forever in Christ's presence as his bride, his sinless, without blemish, bride. So in view of the fact that Jesus sets his bride apart as holy in his sight, cleansing her of all sin, the question for us in a practical and relational way is, how should a husband apply this truth to his relationship with his wife? What should that look like? If Jesus is doing, if the perfect husband is doing this for his chosen bride, the church, how should a husband attempt to apply this to his relationship with his wife? Well, I think one way this could be applied would be to keep our marriages free from outside corruption. And what I mean by that is this there are always outside influences that are seeking to corrupt our marriage. There are cultural influences that try and dilute or redefine marriage. And there are internal influences that are are trying to encourage us to drift from protecting our marriages. When you look at what the Scripture tells us, and you see what Jesus is doing for the church, as the marriage of Christ to His church is a sanctified, holy union that's set apart as special... I think if you're in a position of leadership, men, if if, if the Lord calls you to marry someone, you should seek your hardest and with the most devotion that you can to keep your marriage free from any corruption that might seek to derail it. Protect the marriage that the Lord entrusts to you. I love what it tells us in verse 27 because it also tells us here that Jesus presents the church to himself without stain and without blemish. And the way he says it here in in verse 27 of Ephesians 5, it says, So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Isn't that a beautiful portion of scripture? The way Jesus sees his bride. You ever think about that? That's the way Jesus sees his bride. Jesus changes us. He forgives us and imparts his holiness to us. He doesn't just clean us up. He makes us brand new, and then he shows us off. Can I tell you a little bit of an awkward story? I save the awkward stories for when my wife is downstairs teaching children's church, and uh, she'll probably hear this on the recording later, but whatever. I don't have to see her face as I say this to you. But I still remember... The very first time I had the opportunity to introduce Andrea when we were just starting to date. So my future wife, I still remember the first time I had the opportunity to introduce her to my father. Now, I have all sisters, all right? I'm the only boy of all sisters. And so my father and I, in, in, like, in many respects, operate, he's very clearly my father, but we also have this part of us that kind of operates like brothers, all right? And um, he was the best man at my wedding, all that, right? So soon after Andrea and I started dating, my dad came down here to this area to visit. He used to, he used to fly, just as a hobby, a small Cessna plane. And I said, Dad, I'm trying to impress this girl. Is there any chance you could fly the Cessna down and maybe like, take us up in the plane and like fly around Langhorn a little bit? He's like, I hear you, son. I'm on it. So he flew the Cessna plane, flew it down, and he had been hearing me talk about Andrea for weeks and weeks and weeks, and so now he's finally meeting her, and he was impressed with her, and in fact, he congratulated me on the fact that I was able to convince a girl like her to actually date me. He's like, I don't know how you pulled this off, but good job. I was like, I don't know how I pulled it off either. I'm asking for your help to help me seal the deal here, Dad. Like, let's do the plane thing, and I'm still amazed that it worked out too, but you know what he actually said? All right. So this is what he actually said. I said, like, part of me is like, should I admit this to the church? And I'm like, ah, what the heck? They know my dad. They'll probably get a kick out of it. This is what he said to me. I said, Dad, what do you think? And he said, You know what I think? He said, I think she's dating the wrong stongi. That's what he said. I was like, Dad. All right, that's too far. That was like, you crossed the line. But but basically, um, he really said that. That's a direct, exact quote. Exact quote of what my father said the first time he met Andrea, <laughs> and, uh, and but here's the thing: like I was driving him and my sisters and my family crazy uh, because I wouldn't stop talking about her, like I couldn't stop talking about her. I talk about her all the time, and and basically it was kind of like, hey everybody, look who look who's with me! Like, look who I got! Look look who's actually willing to date me, and look who's willing to actually will actually willing to marry me, uh, you know? And, and I, I just I just remember how I, I couldn't wait to introduce her to everyone. I couldn't wait to introduce her to my grandmothers and to my mother and to let them all meet her, right? When you look at what this scripture tells us, Jesus loves us deeply, and he is not ashamed to call us his bride. So think about that. Just every single person in this room, just think about that for a second. Jesus loves us, and he's not ashamed to call us his bride. He's not ashamed to call you his bride. Men, if if God calls you to be a husband, model that kind of love as you relate with your wife. Copy that. That is our model, right? In view of the fact that Jesus cherishes us and is not looking at He's not looking at us for our faults. He's not looking at us with the intention to keep this record of wrongs, every error, every mistake, every blemish, right? See, he's like, no, I wipe that away. I take care of that. I, I blot out the record. That should be our mindset. That should be our attitude. That should be the way we treat our wives as well, right? Now, of course, every marriage on this earth is made up of two people that make lots of mistakes, So yes, your wife's going to make a whole bunch of mistakes, just like you are going to make a whole bunch of mistakes. And we could look at each other and just keep this list and mental record of everything that we ever get wrong, which would be a very long list if we want to do that. But what does Scripture tell us about the nature of love? It tells us that love keeps no record of wrongs. Why does it tell us love keeps no record of wrongs? Well, it's saying this is the deal. This is what Jesus did for us. This is the deal. He's looking at you, and it's the idea that I don't want to keep a record of wrongs. I want to blot it out. I want to look at you without blemish, holy and blameless in my sight. So can I encourage us, if you're currently keeping score in your marriage, to throw away the scorecard. Don't continue to keep score. Start realizing, men in particular, I'll say this to you, start realizing that your wife is a treasure that has been entrusted to you by the one who is not ashamed to call that woman that you call your wife his bride. He's not ashamed of her. He loves her. Love her like he loves her. It's a high standard. I love what it tells us in Proverbs 18, 22. It says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. That's what we're told in Proverbs 18, right? In Ephesians 5, if you look at the very end of the chapter, by the way, there's only one of today's message, Right? But Ephesians 5, it ends with this challenge. It says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So husbands, we're called to love our wives with the sacrificial love of Jesus. And wives are called to respect their husband with a heart and mind that reflects the nature of the relationship of the church to Jesus. And frankly, I think it's a lot easier for wives to respect husbands who love them like Jesus wouldn't you say? And likewise, it's, it's, it's easier for husbands to love wives who show respect to them, like the church is supposed to respect Christ. So now let's talk about the shorter portion of Ephesians 5 here that speaks about the role of the wife. What does it look like for a wife to show respect to her husband in a way that honors Jesus? What is the nature of that? Or maybe we could say it like this. Don't be afraid of biblical submission. Well, what's biblical submission? What am am I even talking about, right? Look what it says in verses 22 through 24. It says, "'Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands.'" Few words elicit such a strong reaction in the context of marriage than that word right there, submit. Now, I've been a pastor for 25 years, two years as a youth pastor, and 23 years as a lead pastor. And in those 23 years as a lead pastor, I don't know at this point how many weddings I have officiated for, but it's a lot. Um, and uh, and I, I still remember one particular wedding that I officiated for. It's kind of interesting. It's almost like when you're preaching, I can see your faces. You can't see your faces. So I know if something I've said, if a joke lands, I could see it in your face. If it's a dud, I could see it in your face. So then I try and look at the clock and not your faces. because I'm like, nope, you'll get distracted. They all thought that joke was dumb, right? If something I'm saying is offensive, I could see teeth grind at me, you know, And I can see, just like in a a wedding ceremony, I can see the couple's face better than everybody assembled for that wedding. I could see their face. And I remember this one particular wedding that I was officiating for. This would probably have been maybe about 17 or 18 years ago. Uh, I was officiating for this one particular wedding. I just read from Ephesians 5, as I do every time I officiate for a wedding. And when I reference that verse, when I mention that verse... I, I watched the bride visibly wince. She winced, and it was unmistakable. It wasn't just like a nervous twitch or anything like that. It was a visible wince. She looked actually kind of rather angry, and, uh, and I still have a mental picture of that. I don't think I'll ever forget it. And uh, unfortunately, so most of the marriages that I've officiated have lasted, thankfully, and some have not, and this was one of the ones that did not, and it didn't, even, it didn't last very long, in fact. And what I discovered soon after that, and I felt bad about this, but both husband and wife, and it, it was both of them in this context, uh, they both became very, very selfish and very, very self-absorbed. And I watched that happen. I'm like, why are you guys doing that? Like, the, the more you do that, you're just driving each other crazy. It became so, so selfish, so self-absorbed. Their hearts hardened toward each other, and eventually they just gave up. That was it. They just hardened their hearts toward each other, and they gave up. And when I ask people, especially women, why the concept of submission like it's described here, why it sounds scary to them, I understand why it sounds scary, 100%. Because they often, they often share their descriptions of domineering men who have abused and distorted this concept into something that it is not meant to be. So I think we've all interacted during the course of our lives with harsh and arrogant personalities, right? Maybe you've worked with or worked for some, maybe you've studied under some, maybe you've just interacted with people like that. Thanksgiving's coming up, maybe you're going to be interacting with some people that fall into that category at your Thanksgiving table, you know, pray for each other, all right? Pray for each other, it's a few days away, right? Um... But we all know people like that, right? We all know control freaks. Do you know any control freaks in your day-to-day life, people that just have to be in control of everything? I think that these are the images that most often come to mind when people are thinking about this idea of submission, when people are talking about this, when people are thinking about this, right? And I can sympathize with how people feel when they have that kind of mindset because they have a legitimate fear of being demeaned. They have a legitimate fear of being taken advantage of, or controlled, or stifled, or undervalued, and why do they have a legitimate fear of that? Because it happens. That sort of thing happens, right? I have two daughters, and I bristle at the thought of someone treating them like they were a second-class citizen, or somebody crushing their spirit in any way. I bristle at that thought. And maybe someday they will discover, if I ever choose to admit that to them, uh, I'm alluding to this because they know a little bit about it. Some conversations I have had with gentlemen along the way, in relation to I've had I've had a couple of those conversations. Awkward, but I didn't feel bad at all. And I, I look at that and I think to myself, I'm like, I'm really glad I said that. That dude needed to hear that. He looked pretty scared. I hope he cried. (laughs) Jesus loves women. Am I right? Does he not? Look at the course of his earthly ministry. It's very different. It's very countercultural. In fact, we've been studying the Gospel of Luke for a while on Wednesday nights, and one of the things that you'll notice, that the primary financial supporters of Jesus' earthly ministry were women. Women in the culture that were women of means that that supported his ministry and actually traveled with them to some of the places that they went. And Jesus was not ashamed to associate with them, nor was he ashamed to elevate and esteem them. And when you look at what Scripture tells us, it tells us that that he does not take uh, the way we treat our wives lightly. That is not a light thing to the Lord. He's warned us, in fact, that men can expect to be held accountable for how they treat their wives. And right now the guys are like, wait a second, I thought we were on the women part, right? Isn't this the woman part? Yeah, I'm getting to that, right? But First Peter 5.5 5 tells us what? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Just think about that statement for a second. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God op- Do you want to be in opposition to God? Do you want to be in opposition to God? Strut like a peacock right? Walk around like you're proud. You will, you will experience the opposition of God. It will not be pleasant. First Peter 3.7 says this. It explains that husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way and to show them honor. And then it says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I love that portion of Scripture because I got to tell you, going back to a previous analogy, do you suppose that I talk different to a guy that, that treats my daughter's nicely, then I would talk to a guy who would treat my daughters poorly or disrespectfully. It'd be a very different conversation. How arrogant of us to treat the daughters of God poorly and then come before Him and say, bless me, Lord. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Please pour your blessings upon me. Oh, I treat your daughters like garbage. I'm arrogant and proud and I dishonor them, but bless me. And he's like, fat chance. I'll give you something. It's not going to be the blessing that you're seeking. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And the Scripture tells us that if you treat treat your wife with arrogance, your prayers will be hindered. Make that relationship right, and then come to the Lord in prayer. Or repent before him and say, Lord, I goofed this up. Help me restore this. But don't come with arrogance, right? So it's made clear to men in several ways that if they lack humility... And if they're disrespectful both in how they treat their wives and in how they exercise leadership in their home, that God will actively remedy the the situation and the man will be taught a painful lesson in the process. Because marriage is meant to serve as a visible illustration of the love of Christ for his church. Jesus is the loving, compassionate, just, strong, nurturing head of the church. He chose his bride, he loves his bride. He protects and he defends his bride. He provides for his bride. And he leads his bride with grace, mercy, and righteousness. And the response of his bride to him is to be joyful submission to his leadership. Knowing that he's actively working all things together for our good. Knowing that he gave himself up for us. Having all of those things in mind... And realizing that if we have that in mind, that the concept of submitting to Jesus should actually be a delight to us, but our old nature is strong, and it battles against the new nature, and instead of joyfully submitting to Jesus, we, His bride, we have a strong tendency to go our own way, and we have a strong tendency to ignore the loving leadership of Christ. And naturally speaking, I don't think we, as men or women, I don't think we excel at the practice of submission, even submission to our Savior. Could we agree on that? I could tell you from my own life, I don't think I excel at it. It's something that I have to learn as the Holy Spirit convicts me of it. But naturally speaking, I don't think I was taking my own life in that direction. The only reason I even value it is because the Lord taught me to value it. He opened my eyes to it because I wasn't looking for it. And that struggle, that struggle to submit to Jesus, that creeps into our marriages as well. Jesus has called husbands to represent him and to serve as agents of his loving leadership in their homes. And Jesus has called wives to to represent the object of his affection, the church. So as the church is called to respect the loving leadership of Jesus, as the church is called to submit to the loving leadership of Jesus, wives are called to submit to the leadership of their husbands in their home. And when you look at that on a day-to-day basis, in our culture, that is a strongly resisted Concept. I would say even in many church contexts, that's a strongly resisted concept, and I'm also sure that that statement would would sound very offensive to many people, even though I don't mean it to be, but I think the concept of submitting in the home is oftentimes a very offensive concept to many people because we don't really know how to implement it. We look at it and we think, like, I don't even, like, what does this mean? What does this actually mean to actually implement this? Does this mean that I get treated like, uh, like, like I'm subservient? Does this mean I get treated like, like a dog? Like, what does that mean? Like, if I'm just supposed to submit in a home? Here's what biblical submission actually means. It involves esteeming and elevating the leadership of somebody else. It means to honor or to yield to or to carry out the decisions of a leader. It involves showing genuine respect, and it involves, and it requires, a high level of trust. It is always easier to submit to the leadership of those who are mindful to the fact that they must, in their leadership, also submit to the leadership of Jesus. And when husbands are allowing Jesus to develop their hearts, and when husbands are are saying, all right, Lord, please give me your power to mirror your compassion, and your heart, and the way you honor your church, help me mirror that to my wife, when that's their heart's desire, they tend to lead well, and their leadership tends to be valued and appreciated by their their wives and even by their children. But when husbands forget that God will hold them accountable for how they treat their wives, they get off track, and they start behaving selfishly instead of sacrificially. And that's why this becomes such a messy subject. So submission doesn't mean that a wife cannot express her insight. Submission does not mean that a wife cannot express her opinion. Submission does not devalue a woman's role of leadership in the home. What it should do, if it's practiced the way this scripture speaks about it, it should result in her feeling honored. It should result in her feeling cared for and sacrificed for and provided for, and protected, that should all go into this. I, I appreciate the things that the Lord's been teaching my wife and I in our household, is we're honestly trying to apply this, and, and I think both my wife and I could admit to you that this is not something that we, we found automatically easy, and it's something we're still very much trying to grow in, because it's something that we struggle with on a day-to-day basis. And you know what makes it real tricky for Andrea and I? We are both oldest children oldest children are the worst, okay? And and I remember when Andrea and I were getting married, we were thinking about this. We're like, wait, I'm an oldest child and you're an oldest child. Is this a good idea? I think I've read in a book somewhere, this might not be a good idea, but I really like you. Let's just risk it and see what happens, right? (laughs) And here's the thing. And we both joke about this with each other because both Andrea and I have take charge kind of personalities. So even before she and I got married, we would frequently find ourselves in positions of leadership. People would say, hey, could you lead this? Sure. Hey, could you lead this? Okay. So she would have that happen. I would have that happen. What happens when two personalities that tend to get pushed in the direction or nudged in the direction of leadership decide to team up? How does that work? how does that work? Does it mean we're just going to fight all the time? I'll tell you, our first year of marriage, we actually did fight a lot, we really did. I didn't realize we were fighting a lot until we got to the second year of marriage and things cooled down a little bit. And I was like, hey, we don't fight as much as we did last year. I was like, why is that? We're like, oh, I don't know. It's like, maybe we're learning to give a little to the other person and honor the other person a little bit better. It wasn't something that automatically came natural to us. And what has happened is we've asked the Lord to intervene and give us heavy doses of His grace, heavy doses of His mercy, heavy doses of His humility so that we could learn to apply those things in how we relate to each other. And because my wife and I both take Ephesians 5 seriously and the fact that the reference to this chapter is touching our skin via our, our wedding rings every single day, what we've decided is we're going we're gonna to make it a priority to do our best to actually live this out. We're gonna to try to live it out. We don't live it out perfectly, but I can tell you we're trying. So what I'm trying to do, as I look at my role, is I'm trying to lovingly lead our household, and she is seeking to joyfully respect my leadership. And this works really well when both parties are convinced that the other is seeking what is in their best interest and sacrificing for what is in their best interest. So I try not to be an inconsiderate jerk And she tries not to undercut my authority. That's really how it works in plain language. And here's the other thing that could be really, really tricky. But we decided to treat my decisions in the house as the final word. What do you think of that? Some of you that know us both are like, it should be Andrea. (laughs) Well, regardless, we already committed, signed it on the dotted line, can't go back. But we treat my decisions as the final word. Okay, so that's the final word. Well, how do those decisions get made? Well, they get made by seeking her input, her advice, and her agreement. We're a united front, but there's lots of conversations that go into that. There's no, I'm trying not to be inconsiderate jerk making decisions without her input. And she's trying to make sure to elevate my role of leadership and what we're trying to do is to show each other unconditional love because we're recipients of unconditional love from Christ. We recognize we are both the bride of Christ, seeking to submit to Christ, and trying to apply the lessons of Ephesians 5 in our household. And can I say one other thing? And I, I just was kind of thinking about this here. Um, not something that I, I necessarily thought about saying, but there are a few cool things that have happened in my life. You know, I, I look at opportunities. I like, I'll, I'll just use our church as an example. Let me just use our church as an example. I was so, so, so convinced in 2008 that the Lord wanted us to move here and plant a church. So convinced. And I remember I came down here for a meeting with the small remnant of people from the previous incarnation of the church here. And I left that meeting thinking, I I first said, I, I wish I could be two people. One to continue doing the ministry we were doing up in Northeast PA and then another one to come down here and plant a new church. And I had a couple hours to think on the drive from here back to where we live. And when I got home, I, I, said, to, I said to Andrea, I said, I can't shake the fact that I feel like we're supposed to just kind of like pull up stakes, move to Langhorn, and plant a new church. I said, like, what do you think? And I said, all right, here's the deal. And I went through the scenario. It's like, I have no idea where we'll live. I have no idea how we'll get paid. Uh, There's about, you know, just a handful of people left from the previous church. Um, There's a lot of what ifs. What do you want to do? What do you think? And you know what she said? Honest truth. She's like, like, she said, all right, this is something that you're convinced the Lord's telling you to do. I said, I really am convinced the Lord's telling me to do this. And she's like, well, I believe that the Lord speaks to our family through you. So if that's the case, I'm on board 100%. And within a few months, we were down here, and you and I get to have this conversation right now. And let me tell you a little secret about how things work. Why, like, why, Sometimes people look at stuff like, I had a really cool thing happen to me this past week. I got invited to be part of something that felt pretty exclusive, right? I was like, all right, that was pretty cool. Why does stuff like that work in my day-to-day life? Husbands hear me on this, and wives hear me on this. Why does that stuff work? Why do I get to experience stuff like that? Why is our church operating like it's operating? Because I have a wife that supports me in every single thing I do. That's the honest truth. And she knows, like, where I'm not all that strong. And she knows the areas that I'm not all that great. And she treats me like I'm great. And she makes me feel like, like, if I put my mind to something, I, and here's the thing, like, she makes me feel like it's going to work. And you know why it works? Because I have her support. And so, like, I'll go and I'll, I'll attempt something crazy. And I know that, you know, seven billion people on the earth will be like, John, that's crazy. I'm like, I don't care about you. I know one person that thinks it's not crazy. Andrea. And then I go, and it works. Because God gave me a wife who backs me up on everything I do. That's pretty cool. How dumb would I be to dishonor that gift? So I can look at a portion of scripture like this and I could, I, I could say, yeah, Andrea, <laughs> you know, look at these verses. It says you're supposed to submit to me. I got, I got news for you. If you have to say that, that means your leadership stinks. You are a terrible leader if you have to tell somebody they have to do that. It stinks. You stink at it. You should get better at it. Read books. Pray, hang out with better leaders than you. If you have to tell somebody, if you have to walk around and tell people you're the leader, you're not the leader. You have to tell anybody you're not the leader. But if someone can see by your character and by how you treat people that you are modeling the heart of Christ and people feel loved and they feel valued under your leadership. I'll tell you, when I've worked for or worked with people that treat people that way, they have my unfettered allegiance. I look at that and I think, I want you to succeed. I will, you tell me to do something, I'm going to do something. What do you want me to do? I listen to leaders like that. So if the Lord's called you to lead in your home, lead like that. Just look at what Jesus does and copy that. And treat your wife the way Jesus treats his bride. Don't keep score, don't keep records of wrongs, don't remember the past mistakes. That stuff's old news, doesn't exist anymore. Get it out of your head. Without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle. That's your bride. Honor her. And ladies, help your guy get there. The reason I've learned to value these things and the reason it gets really drilled into my heart is because I have a wife that's helping me get there. She's helping me see this. And there are plenty of times that we've had awkward moments where we've had to learn each of our roles and how this dance works out. It's not always easy. We don't find this. I'm not trying to present this to you as something that ever came easy for us. We are both take-charge personalities that don't automatically find this stuff easy. But we find it good. And on the other side of it, we're like, yeah, I'm glad. That was hard. My role was hard today. Your role was hard today. But it was good. So love and respect each other in a way that honors what's being modeled here because what we're basically being shown, and I'll say this as we finish up this morning, we're just, we're just we're told here, think of Jesus and the church and then copy that in your home. And here's the other thing. You can't control what somebody else does. The only thing you can do is what you do. I can't control what Andrea does. She has the capacity to completely break my heart. If she wants to, I, I'm wide open to that, right? I've made myself completely vulnerable to that. She has that power over me. She can do that. And I say that to acknowledge those of you that have experienced that already. Because some of you in this room, you've experienced people that, that you trusted and they broke your heart. Sorry that that happened. I see that happen a lot. A lot and it's disgusting, and I wish it didn't happen. But isn't it nice to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this and come right back to the fact that you could say, I know who won't break my heart, Jesus Christ, who loves the church. He won't. So again, in the context that he's placed you in, model his heart as Christ and the church operate in perfect relationship. That's what the Lord's invited us to do. So it's a tricky subject to preach on. I hope that I did it. I, I hope I, I didn't um, dishonor it or botch it, right? Because I look at this and I think, this is so pivotal. And I actually took the liberty of giving myself an extra 10 minutes today. That's bonus, right? You didn't know you are going to get bonus time today. But it's just such an important concept, and it applies to us, and it's something I think Christ wants. This concept, no matter what season of life we're at, for this to be drilled deep down in our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the things that, that you allow us to see and the things that you allow us to experience. Lord, when we look at a portion of scripture like this, it's such a cool portion of your word because it really gets to the essence of what you're asking us to do. You're saying, treat each other like this, and you're not asking us to do something that you didn't do first. And Lord, that's one of the things that I just love about your leadership, the way you lead us. You're not saying, you're not asking us to do something that's more difficult than what you've already done. You're not putting us in a spot and saying, you do this. I wouldn't do that, but you do that. You're putting us in a spot and you're saying, yeah, do the exact thing that that I did. So when it comes to loving leadership and sacrificial leadership, we see how you, you gave yourself up for your bride when it comes to submission, we can even see when we look at how you interact with with the Father. How you submitted yourself over to the will of the Father. And yet you're one with the Father. So how does that work? Lord, we see in our marriages, husband and wife, you, you unite us. You make us one. But that biblical submission can still be a facet that ultimately testifies to your goodness. So Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for the reminders you've given to us from your word today. Lord, these are not easy things to live out, so we know we need your strength and your guidance and grace. We know that we need lots and lots and lots of repentance when it comes to the areas that we goof up. And so Lord, we pray that we would just submit that all over to you, rely on your help, and ultimately approach each new day as an opportunity for us to to just copy the pattern that you've given to us here. Thank you, Lord, so much for those that have given us examples of what this looks like, and we pray, Lord, that by your grace that we would live it out. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your love for us, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.